Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning. Two weeks to Christmas. How many of you guys are ready for Christmas? Oh my goodness. Two weeks. All right, I want to welcome everybody here, everybody watching online as well. So we are in part two of this Christmas series called Down to Earth. And last week, we took a look at how what was going on behind the scenes in the lives of the characters in the Christmas story, much different than what we often see acted out on stage. Now today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the power of the Christmas story. You know, Christmas is a powerful holiday. It is not vanilla, like President's Day, vanilla, right? Labor Day, vanilla. You know, on President's Day, you don't have a bunch of carolers coming up to your home, knocking on your door, singing, it's a grand old flag. You just don't see that. I hope not, if you do. You know, I thought about this. On Labor Day, you don't see a bunch of inflatable plumbers on front lawns bowing down to a manger full of... It just doesn't happen, okay? Christmas is different. Christmas is big. Last week, I asked how many of you guys love the Christmas season. It wasn't a casual hand raising, right? Tons of hands shot up in the air. And last week, we talked about the fact that for 2,000 years now, the birth of Jesus has been acted out on stage. And we have put it to music, we put it to dance, we put it to theater, and it always seems to be done in kind of a safe, sanitized, warm and fuzzy kind of way. And so my idea was, what if we bring these Christmas scenes down to earth and think about what it was really like? Like, let's imagine how Joseph and Mary and the other characters were truly feeling. And what we discovered by way of review is this, Joseph was feeling afraid. And that makes sense, right? He's about to be a dad to the Savior of the world. You would be afraid too. And we saw that Mary was feeling uncomfortable like socially uncomfortable as all these accusing eyes were aimed at her unmarried belly and physically uncomfortable as she was obviously pregnant, traveling 70 miles on some animal to Bethlehem, giving birth in a barn. Like uncomfortable is an understatement for Mary. And then we went behind the scenes and we talked about the innkeeper and we saw that the innkeeper was occupied. He wasn't evil. He was occupied. He was busy with a full house, no room. And then finally, we took a look at the visitors, the wise men and the shepherds, and we saw that they were feeling awestruck. When they were in the presence of baby Jesus, God in the flesh, they were blown away. They were amazed. In fact, it says the shepherds took their amazement out to the streets. They told other people about being in the presence of Jesus. And when they told other people, the other people were awestruck as well. And what I realized last week is that I want to respond like the wise men and the shepherds. Like when I think about Jesus, when I focus on Jesus, I want to be blown away. I want to be amazed. I want to be awestruck. Like I want Jesus to change every element of my life. But if I'm honest with myself, as I thought through this different list, I I often find myself very occupied, very busy 
Even as a pastor, sometimes I'm so busy doing the work of God that it comes at the expense of being the person God wants me to be. Now, remember last week, I challenged all of us to think about, to identify, what do you feel when you focus on Jesus and the Christmas story? I said, are you feeling afraid? Are you feeling uncomfortable? Are you feeling occupied? Are you feeling awestruck? I encourage you to come out of hiding, come down to earth, and own what's going on in your life. And I know that I know that I know that I probably shouldn't ask this, but I have enough martyr in my personality to want to know, okay? How many of you did the assignment I gave last Sunday? Would you raise your hands up in the air? Okay. Let's go to an easier one, okay? Um, how many of you were actually here last Sunday? Raise your hand. Keep, keep your hand up in the air. Okay, keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it. No, 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 no. I saw some people put their hand. Keep that hand up. Now, keep your hand up if you did the homework assignment, all right? I was trying to give some of you a chance to at least lie to me and make me feel better. I actually read about this. He said, pastors, don't ask people to do homework. They won't. They're too busy. I'm just a glutton for punishment. But anyhow. All right, so let's say you missed last week. You weren't here. Here's what I asked you to do. I asked you, first of all, to identify what do you feel when you focus on Jesus? And then, second, go a little bit deeper, figure out why am I feeling that way? And then third, I ask you to read the birth narrative of Jesus in Matthew and Luke. And then fourth, I ask you to come back today. So congratulations, you did one of the four, right? You're here. Way to go. Find the good and praise it, all right? But but here's what I know to be true about you, okay? I really do. I I know this. When it comes to Jesus, I know that you don't want to be afraid. You don't want to be uncomfortable. You don't want to be occupied. You don't want to live in guilt, shame, remorse. If I sat down and had a one-on-one conversation with with the majority of you, you would say, I want Jesus to be the center of my life. Like, I want to be led by him. I want to have a genuine, intimate relationship with God. But if that's true, then how come most of us don't live that way? How come when it comes to Jesus, we find ourselves being a little afraid to fully commit to him? Or, Or maybe he makes us uncomfortable, or maybe we're just busy with other stuff. Like, why don't we pursue that dream for our lives? Well, I think the main reason the majority of us don't live that Christ-following life that we would like to live is because we're busy relying on our own power for daily living. We're relying on our own power rather than God's power. I am totally convinced that this is the case, that we don't do life with God. We settle for doing life in our own strength rather than leaning on God's strength. And today, we're going to talk about how we can flip that how we can actually get God's power in our lives. Now, I want you to think about this. You ever notice how you don't usually see Herod on the stages of the reenactment of the birth of Jesus? You got to ask the question, why is that? I think it's because Herod is not a warm and fuzzy character. Like he might've been called Herod the Great, but he could have been called Herod the Psycho, all right? And there's something I want you to see about Herod. Last week, we talked about this afraid, uh, occupied, uncomfortable. Okay, all three of those are personified in Herod. You're going to see this. So I want you to see that, but I also want you to see how Herod relied on his own power. Okay, that's what got him in trouble. Herod relied on his own power. Let's pick it up here. Matthew 2, verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. Okay, we don't have time for a full-blown history lesson, But let's just say this, Herod did do a couple of great things, but overall, his rule was evil, okay? 
His history is filled with lies, murder, adultery, treachery. And those were just with the people he loved, like his relatives. True story. This guy had some real issues. About that same time, or about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. Now, let me pause right here and tell you why Herod was deeply disturbed. He was deeply disturbed because he was deeply afraid. Herod was the king of the Jews, and he was afraid that Jesus was coming to steal his throne, to steal his crown. Now, I don't have a lot of kingly experience. Okay, my kingly experience is reserved mostly for my time at the home of the Whopper. Right, that's about it. Right? But I've got to imagine that, that if you're a king and another king is born in your own backyard and you're an insecure dude, that's going to bring some real fear into your life. Well, that's what Herod's experiencing here. Verse 4 says, He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? All right, just so you know, Herod is not a God-fearing person. But he calls these scholars together because he's smart enough to know that for many years, a Messiah had been prophesied. Now, the people were not expecting the Messiah to come and be like Jesus Christ. They were expecting the Messiah to come as a political ruler who would take over the throne. So you can see why Herod is feeling the heat here. Verse 7, then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. That's not really what Herod wanted to do. Herod became obsessed with taking out Jesus. Like, how do I get rid of this potential king who's going to steal my throne? And he manipulated everybody. He's even trying to turn the wise men into double agents. Herod became so obsessed that he did the unthinkable. Skip to verse 16 here. See, the wise men didn't go back to Herod. They realized what he was up to. And so the Bible says they actually got a message from God and, and they escaped. But it says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Yikes. He kills every baby boy two and under, thinking, okay, this is the way that I can wipe out the potential king, the potential Messiah here. I mean, if anybody knew power, it was Herod. He leveraged his power. Sure, he talked about power over power lunches. This guy was all about power. But here's the deal. It was just human power. Right, massive power, enough power to kill scores of innocent babies, but it was human power, and human power is always limited. People, human power will always run out. And look what happened to Herod. Verse 19, two simple words. Herod died, dead, done, kaput, pushing daisies, taking a dirt nap, right? Worm bait, whatever you want to call it. His reign phew, comes to an end. His human power was met by the ultimate power of reality, and that is death. He's done. God takes him out. 
Now, Herod, think about it. He lived his life with all these negative feelings. He was afraid. He was uncomfortable. He was occupied. And he relied on his own power when it came to Jesus. Herod missed it. Herod thought that Jesus came to threaten him and and to take his throne away, to, to make his life uncomfortable. Jesus didn't come to make him uncomfortable. Jesus came to save him, to bring him comfort. He thought Jesus was going to steal his power. Jesus came to give him real power because Christmas is all about power, people. Let me say it this way. Christmas is God's power in action. Christmas is God's power in action. Let me share a few things from the Christmas story that display God's power in action. First of all, it was God's power that invaded humanity with divinity, right? The birth of Jesus, God becomes human. It was God's power that changed the natural laws, a virgin birth. It was God's power that foiled the plans of a mighty ruler named Herod. It was God's power that orchestrated all the Old Testament prophecies and fulfilled his promise of a Messiah. It was God's power that guided the wise men and Joseph to safety. I mean, Christmas is all about God's power. God's presence, the God-man Jesus, brings us power so that we can have peace. Folks, that's kind of a summary statement of all of Christmas. I want you to write this down. The presence of God reveals the power of God and brings the peace of God to your life. I'll say it again. The presence of God reveals the power of God and brings the peace of God to your life. Now, what would that power look like in your life? See, I don't want to stand up here this morning and just talk about power. We do that a lot, don't we? Oh, God is so powerful. No, I want us to figure out how do we live with that power? Look at 1 Corinthians 4. This is amazing. For the kingdom of God is not a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Wow. How do we do that? The kingdom of God is not a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. Now, I'm guessing that most of you would not question whether God is powerful. But you might say, hey, do I have access to that power? Is that power available to me today? The the same power that we read about in the Bible, like God for thousands and thousands of years invading human history and showing up in people's lives, is that power available to me in my life in the 21st century? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 68, God gives power and strength to his people. Now, if that's true, you gotta ask the question, well, when can I count on God's power? Anytime. You can count on God's power when you're afraid. I can count on God's power when I'm uncomfortable. I can count on God's power when I'm occupied. I can count on God's power when I'm fill in the blank. And you might want to do that for yourself. Where do you need that power? Anything. You can put anything in that blank. I can count on God's power when I'm lonely, when I'm wounded, when I'm questioning, when I'm betrayed, when I'm frustrated, anxious, depressed. No matter how you're feeling, you can count on God's power. Isn't that awesome? I mean, Isaiah 40 says this, he, God, never grows weak or weary. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. I love that. Like, I love this idea that God never loses his power. I mean, think about that. He never gets tired, never gets weary, never goes to sleep, never loses energy. God created Red Bull, all right? Yeah, he is like the Energizer bunny on steroids, 
He just keeps going and going. God created the entire universe. He said, what's next? What's next? Some folks can't even create a sandwich without wanting to take a nap, all right? God never naps, doesn't need to. And here's why this is such a big, big deal. God's power is available to us when we are weak and when we need it the most. You know who discovered that in grand fashion? The Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, I love this. God said to Paul, Paul, my power works best. Isn't that good? My power works best in weakness. I love what Paul says. He says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. God's power shows up in your weakness. So let me ask you this. Where do you feel weak today? Take a second. Think about it. Where do you feel weak today? That's where God wants to strengthen you. Now, do you believe that? Because I think if we're honest, most Christians just, just don't quite get there. They don't quite believe it. They're like, oh, yeah, I love God and all, but, man, I still live with this fear. I am still stressed out. My relationships are in trouble. I'm heartbroken. My prayers, they, they just don't get answered. I don't feel God's power. I don't see God's power in my life. Well, if that's the case, let me share something really important. God's power is not automatic. God doesn't force his power on us. God has given us tremendous freedom in this life. And it's this free choice that I believe causes so many of us to live without God's power, to not access that power. And I'm going to tell you this, God's power, that same power that we see in the Christmas story 2,000 years ago, it's available to you today. The question is, how do I access God's power? Let me get real practical with you this morning. Okay, I'm going to give you three steps. Write these down. First of all, I must admit my need. Right? To access God's power, you begin by admitting you need it. God, I, I can't do this. I just can't do this on my own. I absolutely need your power. Now, let's be honest. That's not hard to do when you're struggling, when you're hurting, when you're wounded, when you're stressed out. But it can be difficult to do when you're just living life on easy street. You're just blowing through life. Like, why do I need God's power? I got this. I've got this handled. When you live self-sufficient, you short-circuit God's power. You want God's power in your life? Drop the pride and admit your need. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. First, admit your need. Second, write this down, plug into God. Plug into God's power source. Let me give you a very profound spiritual truth here. All right, this is deep. I'm not sure if you can handle it or not. Are you ready for this? All right, things work best when they're plugged in. I told you it's deep. It's actually a lot deeper than you think. Like a toaster, your toaster doesn't work if it's not plugged in. It has got to be plugged in to a power source. And I don't care how pretty your toaster is. I don't care how much your toaster costs. I don't even care if your toaster grew up in the church kitchen its whole life, all right? Are you with me? If it's not plugged into a power source, you're not getting toast. You've got bread, okay? That's it. And I have a lot of conversations with people inside the church and outside the church, and they'll say things like, you know, Brian, I-, I used to be plugged in. 
Oh man, back in the day, I used to be plugged into church and I used to be plugged into a relationship with God. I get a lot of I used to be, I used to be, I used to be. But somewhere along the line, they unplugged from God and they plugged into their own agenda, their own ways, their own dreams, their own goals. And then this blows my mind. Oftentimes, these same people have the audacity to then blame God for all the problems in their life. If you unplug from God, you shouldn't have that arrogant expectation that he's going to bless you with his power. Like, think about it. Why would he do that? It doesn't make any sense that he would give you his power to live in a way that is contrary to his design, to his will. So if you want God's power, plug in. You've got to plug into the power source, which is God. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, hey, Brian, I am plugged in. I've been plugged in for a long time. Great. Okay, you can cross that out and write down, stay connected. Stay connected to that power source. Jesus spelled out this whole connection thing very well in John 15. He said, yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me, all right, you see that? That's connected. That's staying plugged in. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do, will you say it with me? Nothing. But what does that mean? It means, apart from me, you live on your own power. That's why around here you hear us say it a lot. We talk a lot about doing life with God. That's what it means. That's following Jesus. That's staying connected to him. And let me just clarify here. Doing life with God doesn't mean, oh, yeah, I do life with God. Like I get up in the morning, I have a quiet time every day. I have this time where I spend alone with God, and then then I go throughout my day. Now, doing life with God means you stay plugged in throughout the day. It means God is a part of all of your activities. Every moment of every day, you invite him in. The Apostle Paul calls this praying, talking to God without ceasing. That sounds impossible. It's really not as hard as it sounds. It means you just live with this God awareness as you go through life, just little prayers that you toss up. When you wake up in the morning, on the way to work, before a meeting, during a meeting, thanking them at mealtimes, asking for his wisdom, strength, discernment, direction with decisions you make, it's really not as tough as you might think. You know why? Because God wants that. God is right there. He wants to connect with you. He wants to be there for you. He really does. God is not like the cable company, okay? You know, the cable company, you, you, you call them up and you try to get them to come out and they can't really pinpoint an exact year when they can come out, right? Fix your cable. And so finally, you, you, you get an appointment, right? And you're waiting there for days and days when they say they're gonna arrive and you get famished eventually. And so you leave the house to go get some food. And, that, and that's when they hop out from behind the bushes where they've been hiding, right? And pin that little note on your door. Sorry, we missed you, right? See you next year. Okay, God's not like that. Praise God. Like, God wants that time with you. He's waiting for you. Like, he's right there. He wants to do life with you. He's waiting for you to come to him. Say, man, include me in your thoughts. Include me in your speech. Include me in your actions. I'm here for you. Remain in me. Stay connected. Admit the need. Plug into the power source. Third, and this is big, you've got to step out in faith. We've got to talk about this because this is very important. What does this mean exactly? I would submit to you that God's power, it works in conjunction with our faith. 
me say that again. God's power works in conjunction with our faith. So stepping out in faith means that you choose God's way before the power shows up. Now, here's the key word, before. In fact, I want this is so important. I want us all to say this together. I step out in faith before God's power shows up. Say that with me. I step out in faith before God's power shows up. See, that's what faith is. It's trusting that God will meet me there and that he will act on my behalf. Hebrews 11.1, great verse about faith. What is faith? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Now, you might be thinking, you mean I have to take action and act as if I have the power, even though I don't have the power, in order to get the power? Yes. And that's what faith is. You act as if that power will be there, that God will see your faith and, boom, turn that power on right when you need it. It's kind of the way he rolls. Let's go back to Herod and the Christmas story. You know, by human standards, Herod, very, very, very powerful man, right? And then juxtaposed to him, you have Joseph. By the world standards, not powerful, just an ordinary dude. But what's the difference there? Well, Herod relied on his own power, whereas Joseph relied on God's power. And you see in the Bible, Joseph stepping out time and time and time again. It's amazing. In the Christmas story, three times, three times, God asked Joseph to step out in faith. And even though he's scared, he does it. First, Joseph, I want you to marry your fiance, the pregnant virgin. Okay, God. Second, I want you to leave Bethlehem because Herod is trying to kill Jesus. Okay, God. Third, after Herod dies, God tells him to go back to Israel. And he's afraid, but he goes. Why is he afraid? Well, Herod the Great is now dead, but now his son, I don't know, Herod the Not-So-Great or whatever, the son is the ruler, right? There are no guarantees there. You'd be scared too. The Bible says he's afraid, but he does it anyhow. And it's so amazing because Joseph keeps stepping out in faith and then God's power meets him and then God's power meets him. Now, if you were anything like me here, you would prefer that God's power would show up before you have to step out in faith, wouldn't you? Like, God, okay, I'll do it. Yeah, but first, give give me your power. I would prefer to have God's power before I have to go and and reconcile that relationship or before I, I launch into this risky project, whatever it may be. But if you read this book right here, It's clear. God doesn't work that way. All throughout the Bible and all throughout human history, God intervenes in people's lives when they step out in faith first. And then God shows up and infuses them with power. So we admit we need God. We plug in to his power. We stay connected to that power. And then finally, we step out in faith. Now, real quick, what would this look like in the real world? Let me give you a few scenarios as we close here. First of all, let's say that you're here this morning and you're just checking out this whole God thing, like you're curious, you're seeking, you don't know what you believe. Okay, based on what we talked about, what would you do? What would be your next step? I would say this, you you don't wanna leave here, walk outside, look up at the sky and go, okay, God, if you're real, do something spectacular, right? Like move all the clouds into the form of a giraffe and I will know that you are God, right? That would be crazy, okay? That's not what we do. What should you do? 
Start walking in the direction of God. Take steps. Just take steps. See what happens. Like, I don't know, go to church, grab a Bible and read it, talk to some other Christians, pick up a book on the validity of Christianity, read that. Just start walking in the direction of God and watch how he shows up and reveals his power. I have challenged so many people who are not believers to do that, and God has yet to let any of them down. God will show up. He'll meet you there. I promise you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian. Well, chances are somewhere in your circle of relationships, there's a family member, there's a friend, and, and, and that relationship's kind of broken. You haven't talked to them in a long time, maybe. And, and maybe every time their name comes up, you feel this angst in your life. But what do you do? Well, first of all, you admit you need God's help. And then you plug into his power, and then you step out in faith and do the right thing. Pick up that phone, make that call, ask for forgiveness. Not because you want to, but because it's the right thing to do. And God's power will meet you there. Don't trust in human wisdom. Trust in the power of God. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 2. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. People, I'll take the power of God over human wisdom any day. Now, is this tough? Are these three action steps difficult? Absolutely. But are they essential if you want to experience God's power in your life? Yes, yes, yes. Christmas is a celebration of God's power in action. God's presence came, and with it came his power so that we can have his peace. That's the Christmas story. And it's still for us today. Let's pray. Lord, each year around this time, we open up your word as Christians and we read of these miraculous, powerful things. And I think we forget that that same power, that same power that displayed itself in the Christmas story is available to each and every one of us. Your Holy Spirit is just as alive today as he was 2,000 years ago. You have not grown weary or tired. You're alive and well and desiring to turn on your power in our lives. I think the challenge for us is to really believe that, to stop relying on our own strength, on our own power, and turn to you. Admit that we need it. Plug into you. Plug into the power source. Remain connected to you. We're the branches, you're the vine, you're the only one that's going to produce anything good in our lives. And then, God, there's that big step of faith where we have to step out before that power shows up. We have to step out and trust that you will meet us in whatever situation you call us to. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here over the next few weeks as we celebrate Christmas that we would begin to bring the power of the Christmas story into our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as you guys get ready for Christmas, that's my challenge to you. So take these steps and see if God's power doesn't show up in unique ways over the next couple of weeks. Take care.